front load more energy in defence. And for a team, we're very good when we front load. Work first, rest later. I'm getting all fired up. I'm all fired up and lonesome. Hello, welcome, and thanks for tuning in to Fire Up in this lockdown week eight. Crackdown Week 14, back down Week 4. I'm Dennis Carnahan, once again joined remotely by Chris Gale and Redfern Pat to fire up and dissect the plots and subplots and art and science of the weekly soap opera pantomime that is Rugby League. And this week, we're extra fired up from the get-go because we're front-loading our energy. We don't really know what it means, but boy, it's a fab buzz phrase that's been doing the rounds for a while now, so we're all over it. Although it does just seem like it's another way of saying, fire up. There are a lot of matters we need to front load our energy into today, with more confusion, inconsistency and controversy from the crackdown, backdown, smackdown, as the NRL season lurches inexorably towards the pointy end, the business end, mad Monday for half the teams, then the big dance. This week there are a lot of definitional matters we need to unpack. What's a high shot? What's a love tap? What's a shoulder charge? What's bracing yourself? Is this what Jimi Hendrix was referring to in All Along the Watchtower? So much confusion going down, I can't get no relief! We've had a round that's asked so many more questions than it's answered. Can Roosters fans find more ways to pity themselves? Can Broncos find more ways to lose? Can the West Tigers make ninth? Can the Eels ever win another game? But the first matter we need to discuss is over the son of Chris Gale's enemy number one. Gigantism himself, Nathan Cleary. The Nathan Cleary controversy went the whole weekend. It set Twitter on fire. Did he or didn't he? Was it or wasn't it? Chris Gale, what was the Nathan Cleary controversy all about? Thank you, Dennis Carnahan. I'm going to be a little solemn because I have never seen the rugby league world rent asunder as it has been by the goings-on last weekend when the Penrith Panthers took on the St. George Illawarra Dragons. The raging debate about Nathan Cleary has... It's a little bit like the Super League War, Dennis. Long-term friends are now enemies because they go, well, is it? I thought it is. I thought it was. It wasn't, was it? I mean, I've never seen the Rugby World the League world divided as it is today by the issue of Nathan Cleary's moustache. I mean, let's face it. How do you feel about it, Dennis? Because I don't know where I feel about it. I don't know whether it's wrapped around his lip, whether it's bracing the sweat that comes from and maybe other material that comes from his <laughs> nostrils, whether there's any aggression in the moustache. What was your reaction to this amazing controversy that split rugby league apart my reaction was has he actually hit puberty is it real like is it has he shaved his chin has he not shaved his chin is it just it's i believe the term when i was a child was bum fluff you just a little bit of bum fluff but was it bum fluff or was it was it like a little pencil like a little maxi walker yeah. bit of gear going on it, there it's really disturbed me it's really really upset all levels of rugby league it's something that's been discussed at the australian rugby league commission level so I've done my research, Dennis, and this is what I've uncovered. Nathan had this to say about the incident, i.e. the said moustache. A few of the boys have given me some stick about it. I'll probably shave it off next week. So I think problem solved. What, however you feel about the moustache, it's gone. 
Now, is his... Um He's in the bubble, obviously, in Queensland. Right. Uh, they're on level. Are they still on level four restrictions? I think they. No, I think they might I have th- been eased. I'm not sure. Easy. Oh no, they are. I think they're actually. No, I think they're still on level four, just in case, because the um, the sideline eyes at the games and the players when they come off, they put the mask straight on. And I, I did wonder whether maybe he'd put on the wrong mask. It had a bit of dust on it, or whether Luke Lewis, one of his favourite pranks, is putting shoe polish on the inside of the earphones of Johnny Gibbs, so that when Johnny Gibbs takes the headphones off, he's got black around his ears. I wonder if someone is. Just got his mask and put a little bit of boot polish across the top of it. Wouldn't wouldn't put it past them. Now, but he is in the bubble. It's a really good thing his dad's his coach because it's a it's a great moment when you when you're raising a child when you're a man and you've got a boy and you can teach him to use a razor and that'll be great for, for Ivan to get out there and go, son. This is what we got to do sometimes when you're a man. Well, you've got to shave that thing it, off. He's a tremendous father. Son, not necessarily. It can be, I guess, mother, son, whatever permutation you like. Sure. Uh, Bonding activity. But I think based on the progress of said moustache with Nathan, it's a bonding activity that's still going to take a couple of weeks before it's actually justified to have anything (laughs) to shave off. I got a sort of an Errol Flynn sense about it. And uh, Mm. and it does make you wonder about that old uh, physical principle. If you've got a big chin, you've got a a big moustache, I guess. Distract. Or, or you've got to try and distract from it somehow and get people, get people's, you know. He, I'm, I'm sure he's always talking to people and he's saying, my eyes are up here. <laughs> my eyes are up here. Because <laughs> they're staring. I tell you, I did reference the Super League War and, and some of those fractured relationships have literally taken decades to heal, Dennis, and it's still not quite through. So I, I really hope he does get rid of the thing because I don't want to see Rugby League split apart like it has been by Nathan's actions this week in the lip area. Well, there was also there was also a couple of other actions, but Peter Goff, referee Peter Goff, he refereed the uh, the sorry, Warriors sorry. Bulldogs game. Barry Go- Did Barry you see? But well, he's not he's not Barry Gomesall. He's a he's a fine looking man, but his his nickname amongst the referees is Manuel right. because he he bears quite a striking resemblance, and he's actually fully owned it, and he sends out tweets <laughs> of Manuel doing things in faulty towers, and so he loves it. He's very keen to be called you Manuel. You don't feel he's channeling the Gobbasol look at all? I mean, he certainly gives me... Oh, I think he is. He he certainly... He hasn't quite got the Gomesall, um penalty Queensland oh, business no, no. down. He's, he's not a referee in the in the same uh, postcode as, as the grasshopper in terms of <laughs> competency, whichever way you look at it. And, and, I mean, the way I look at it, it seems to be divided by the tweet, I guess, but... Uh, uh, Peter Goff is one of those referees that, like, you know, you've got your Suttons and then you've got your Joey Boy Atkins. You sort of, you know, you know oh. who they are, right? And you certainly know Chech, who I suggested might be yeah. back on the hair dye, but you'll just say he's just shaving it back, keeping the grey out. But he shaves it where the, where it's grey. He shaves it to the yeah, skin. I, I might take that tip. But to me, Goff is in that sort of second <laughs> category, like Chris Butler. Like you see them and you go. I think you're a first-grade referee, but I'll be damned if I can remember what your name is. <laughs> well, now Nathan Cleary did have a few other a few other minor issues that that made a bit of press and a bit of a uh, bit of tweeting over the weekend. But let's let's get to that a bit later. We we have a number of matters we need to race through today, and one of those matters is a very dark matter. It's not about dark matter, but it's about paramatter. Does Parramatta matter? The matter of Parramatta's mattering. It's been an awful, awful season. I've, I have been tipping against Parramatta myself every week, and I've seen most Parramatta games. I've been to most Parramatta games this year until obviously they moved to Queensland. And I watch them and go, they're really quite dreadful. And statistically speaking, statistically speaking, Nathan Brown is currently the worst half in the competition when it comes to... You mean... 
um, you, you know, try set up and try scored. No, sorry, Dylan, not Nathan Dylan Brown. Brown. No, Dylan Brown. I'm getting my my Parramatta Browns mixed up. Um, Dylan Brown. He's he's below Sam Williams. He's below Dearden. Dearden. <laughs> Dearden, who hasn't played as a starting half in a winning game in over two years, well, let's, has better statistics let's, than Nathan, than, not Nathan, than Dylan Brown. Let's face it, who's bleached their hair and done better on the rugby league field as a result of that? You remember the Joey Johns disaster with the carrot top? Absolutely. And you're just calling attention to yourself. And if I'm Dylan Brown, I'd be not calling no attention to myself because even when he's trying to do it, you can't even remember his name. Exactly. And from what I understand, we have a grab describing what a horror show it's been. Oh, this night is going, well, from worse to horrible. It's a horror show. Absolute horror show here for Parramatta. Well, I guess that's a form of entertainment, isn't it? Did you, now that it's up in the bubble, I'm assuming the ABC didn't illegally smuggle you up there to provide the audio... Um, but did you, uh, I think, again, it was at um, Sunshine Coast Stadium, but did you experience Suspiria or or The Exorcist or whatever it was that Parramatta was putting on? <laughs> well, I I do recall going, you know, the Canberra show, there was often the House of Horrors, yeah. and the you know, ghosts would come out and go, ooh, and try and scare you. There'd be thespians out of work, dressed up with a bit of blood, and go, ha, ha, ha. It, was, it did feel a bit like If that. they ever have a Royal Agricultural show again, and they may not, um, I can I can 100% imagine that the 2022 version of the ghost train, it'll all be in blue and gold. You'll hop in a little carriage with an eel on it. And out of work footballers, i.e. Dylan Brown, Nathan Brown, dare I say Mitch Moses, Clint Cutherson if he's looking for a million bucks a year, they'll be the guys that actually pop out and scare you as you go along. Oh, it'll be the biggest signing news of the big, huge signing news. No, <laughs> the King Gutho signs to the Ghost Train. They'll be running vision of the Manly game, you know, on on endless loop, and just a collage of all the guys, including the great Bryce Cartwright, just dropping the ball like it's a packet of spuds, uh, and it will be truly horrifying. Yeah. People will be coming out traumatized. They'll have on-site counselling <laughs> for anyone that has to endure that, because that was one of the worst things that I've ever seen, Dennis. And I mentioned Clint Gutherson, the former king, the former architect of the Gutherino. There's been a lot of talk about his salary negotiation and and, and the mm. figure being bandied around of, of, of a million dollars. And um, my concern is, is that what happened for poor old Sam Ayub in that negotiation is that he's gone in and Parramatta has offered a million dollars. And he said, are you kidding? I'm storming out. If anyone hears that I got Gutho a million, my other clients will want something similar, and that's not sustainable. <laughs> the um, um, You mentioned Tommy Turbo, and uh, there was actually a lovely moment afterwards where uh, the ABC's Zane jo- Bojacks, Mr. Bojangles, Australian treasure, um, said to Tommy, Do you, are you aware that Charlie, Charlie Saab, what's his name? Jason Saab. <laughs> it's not Charlie. Jason Saab. Jason Saab. And uh, Garrick, they're both on 20 tries each, and you're only on 19. Is there a race between the three of you to see who can get the most tries this year? And Tommy quickly snapped back and said, I don't partake in races anymore. <laughs> he's also off, Which is very He's sweet. also off the booze. I mean, it's a very abstemious existence for Tommy. And the good news is that the cheekbone apparently is not fractured, and the plate was only momentarily disturbed, and he's every chance to be taking the field this weekend, which will bring delight to Des. And all the manly faithful. 
my, my, my feeling about Parramatta in that game, Dennis, was that they looked like a team that had the soul sucked out of them, you know, in, you know, in sort of succubus style, you know, you know, mm. many, many horror movies along that line, you know, in making Faustian deals, which kind of made me wonder what Cameron Smith was up to. But the boys are trying to do something about it, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to reach out and, and <laughs> they've made ministrations to the Parramatta faithful, haven't they? Yeah, they have. There's been letters written and it's, and it's a lovely... Open letters being written to fan bases is a great thing. And uh, Junior Paolo, former former Raider, well, former Eel, then Raider, then back to the Eels, um, he went out and wrote a letter of apology to the faithful and, and, and asked them to stick strong with them and said, we're, you know, we're trying to do good footy. And he did say in there, he was the one that actually came out and said, we're front-loading our energy, full stop. And I have heard that said a lot. I've heard Luke Lewis loves saying it. And it's kind of, oh, look at them. They're front-loading their energy. Well, it's, it's kind of meaningless. But it's a real catchphrase. Pat, have you got any of those, any other people saying it? Front-load more energy in defence. and For a team, we're very good when we front-load. Work first, rest later. I do wonder whether this is... It comes down. We were discussing a few weeks ago, Kane Evans and the and the Carmichael Hunt incident regarding his fitted sheets. That it's a laundering issue, and he, he didn't like folding fitted sheets. And maybe it's all about the washing machines yeah. that in the that in the bubble they haven't got the top loader. The top loader is very inefficient. It because it has to be upright when it spins. It doesn't get anywhere near the spin. Takes a whole lot more water. So there maybe maybe it's they're talking about being more efficient at washing their laundry using less water, using less power, but getting the job done better without damaging their clothes. Is that what you took out of it? Well, so you're saying that the front-loading method is more effective than the top-loading? Yes, yes. Well, Brad Arthur was asked for what solutions he's got, and he basically answered, I ain't got any. But he said, maybe we have to take the emphasis off the footy and given they're up in the bubble, put the emphasis on the laundromat. And whilst... What, and, 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 and one of the things that I keep hearing from, you know, the likes of the Gus Goulds and so forth is we've got to go back to basics. You've got to go to fundamentals. You've got to take it minute by minute, little win by little win. This mania with modern environmental efficiency through front-loading washing machines is clearly not working for the Eels. They've got to find wherever they are on the Gold Coast, they've got to find an old-school laundromat, laundromat top-load their washing and turn the thing around, Dennis. Mm. That's what it's saying to me. Um they need a big old Simpson, a Simpson made, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, that a, a whirlpool that's still going. <laughs> that's right. With, with what we do, a bit of Omo <laughs> or a bit of, bit yes, of Tide, bit of maybe. I mean, but listen, listen, listen to this stuff here. The last few weeks have been tough, real tough, not just for us players and not just on the footy field. Off the field, footy field, for our sponsors and those back home battling the lockdown. We are the same Parramatta team we were at the start of the season. Now, that's, a bit there. This is, that's, that's some excerpts from Junior's letter. We're the same Par- And maybe that's the problem. That's a huge... Because the start of the season, they, they, for the last few years, they've been the absolute chokers. They've cho- when did they last win a premiership? I believe they're the only team that's won a premiership that has won one that hasn't won one since the Raiders last won a premiership. They make the Raiders the second longest drought. They have been in grand finals and they have lost. This is the Parramatta team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and basically those letters are going out to a customer base, most of whom weren't alive when they last won the title. But it, it <laughs> it's such an admission, and I think it was Danny White the last week who said, 
Parramatta people believe they got a title winning team, and then everybody burst out laughing. It's just a it's it's a punchline. <laughs> What's really difficult for the Parramatta supporters is CEO Jim Sarantinos wrote a letter to the Parramatta faithful on Monday after the Manly game. So I mean, all all, all Parramatta fans are doing at the moment. They've got their email. They got another damn letter saying we're going to do better and, and we apologise. We're going to find an old laundromat and put the laundry in the top. And it, it really is tough. And, and there's something more fundamental that I've identified here, Dennis, and I wonder if I can share that with you. Hmm. And that is- Please. Is I believe that the Parramatta psyche is fractured, and it's fractured in a way that's going to be very difficult then to turn around, and thankfully they've got the North Queensland Cowboys, and I can speak from experience, they're beatable, uh, because of what one of the Parramatta people has said to them. And I refer, of course, to the news that we broke last week about the imminent retirement from broadcasting duties of Peter Sterling, Right. He's actually come mm. forward, admitted that it's true, and he's given an interview, Dennis, and I wonder if I can just quote that because I think it's created an ex- existential Please. crisis in the eels. Turning 61, I guess I felt like I'd have maybe 15 good years physically to direct my energy to other things, mainly front-loading my family and eventually the opportunity to travel. You know, I've never been able to see Europe in the summer because of 30 seasons of working in a winter. So, you know, it's just about steering my energy away from front-loading eight NRL games a week. I just want to do things while I can. If I want to walk up the steps of Machu Picchu with the legs that I have, I don't think it's the type of thing I could put off much longer. I mean, Sturlo is at a crossroads in his life. And these Parramatta boys, because they're all local products to the best of my understanding, they're not a team cobbled together by paying overs and promising something out in the Golden West. (laughs) (laughs) Their DNA is Peter Sterling. And if he's talking about there's something more than rugby league, how are they possibly meant to go on the field and do something off the back of that? Uh, it's it's a it's a miserable prospect, and everyone that's not a Parramatta fan is really enjoying it and enjoying enjoying right now how up and about the Eels fans were at the start of this year, just like they were at the start of last year, just like they were at the start of the year sure. before. It's it's just such a wonderful adage. You don't win premierships in April, but the Eels win in April. And there's an, and there's <laughs> another problem, Dennis, that's come to light, and it's and it's oh, around. No. You've been to. Well, I call it Bank West. What what do you call it? Western Sydney something or other? By its, by its proper name, Western Sydney right. Stadium. It's a fortress, right? They're unbeatable there. So they've been um, plucked well, yes. pluck out of the fortress, put it in the bubble, and it hasn't worked for them. They've got the wrong sort of washing machine, and it's come to light that the allocation of policy regarding the rooms isn't really working for the Parramatta team, and there's a bit of infighting and bickering. As highlighted when Nathan Brown yet again dropped the ball. Normally, it's a cause for celebration, you know. All the players come around and G them up, <laughs> pat them on the head, and it's okay. Everyone just looked at him. And this is because they've allocated the better rooms with the balcony views to the guys on the higher salaries, i.e. King Gutho, Mitchell oh. Moses. And there's an unfortunate correlation that the guys on the higher salaries tend to be single guys, right? And the guys with families, you know, they've got four toddlers, the wife or whatever partner, who've come and joined them, they're out the back of the resort looking on onto the waste facilities and the garbage area <laughs> in smaller, less well-appointed rooms. Now, throw that uh. into the mix along with the fact that, well, presumably the guys with families, Paul Gallon style, are able to um, offload rather than front-load some of their arousal <laughs> energy, energy. Uh, with their identified <laughs> partner, though in a cramped room with four kids, that's probably not happening. 
the single guys swanning mm. it on the balcony harbour, oh, sorry, ocean views, aren't allowed to bring in registered guests to do the same. So there's all sorts of fractures in Parramatta around this, Dennis, and I've actually got a bit of audio for you um, based on the single-player argument that Andrew Webster put in the paper the other day. He said, this is how the Parramatta singles are arguing. If players can have their family here for two months, why can't we live our lives too and bring in new friends in our downtime? <laughs> we are not machines. <laughs> we are not animals. We are young men. And have a listen to this Parramatta family man and Parramatta single man having a very animated discussion on exactly that point. Okay, okay. Now look, uh, she's a good, good, good-looking dame. We went out and had a laughs, a couple of drinks, but uh, that's the whole story. <laughs> look, look, I, I don't need trouble. I'll cooperate. My God, you're an animal. I am not an animal. I am a human being. Well, that's Mitchell Moses, I think. <laughs> we, we, we've mentioned the Parramatta people. Have waited in Sterlo. Yeah, Sterlo's actually the said paramedical. I can't one hundred percent back Brad Arthur anymore, simply because of his washing policy. And Buzz Rothfield's gone to the usual well, the quote machine that is Ray Price. And Ray Price, he's filthy. He's absolutely filthy, Dennis. But once again, the voice of reason comes from no better a Parramatta authority than club legend Peter Wynn. Peter Wynn's advice to the Parramatta fans who've been receiving the flood of correspondence from the like of Paulo and Sarantinos is this. They will make the top eight, and it's a different ball game when you get to the finals. You want to celebrate the fact that Parramatta made the finals? Get online with Peter Wynn's score. Get yourself a 2021 commemorative. We made the top eight and went no further jersey, and we've got contactless delivery. Peter Wynn for all your rugby league apparel needs. I think... Peter Wynn has said it all, Dennis. He's said it all. Uh, if you can't score there, you can't score. And it's in the heart of Parramatta and they're open <laughs> during lockdown for deliveries. Thank God for Peter Wynn for Parramatta fans. But last week there was a, a wonderful thing with uh, with one Will Chambers. Indeed. Um, the, the king of sledging. Now, you, you said you had a tip on what it was that uh, triggered Kane Evans. Well, there's been all sorts of uh, speculation about what got Kane offside and led him to go the knuckle on Will Chambers and um, find himself up in the bin in two separate occasions. Now, he is well remembered for simply having the label Carmichael Hunt on his wrist strapping a couple of weeks prior yep. and, um, and, and the administration to fold some Carmichael Hunt. And this led him to be in a bit of trouble. Now, I'm hearing and it's not a reliable source in any way, shape, or form, that he still needed to strap the wrist and he'd replaced the Folsom Carmichael Hunt message to himself with simply a member of his family. And Will Chambers has connected Kane's family to the previous message and <laughs> Kane has seen red and we got the sledgehammer result that we've seen, which unfortunately hasn't played out for Will because he was dropped last weekend. I noticed the Sharks didn't win. Mm. They could have used him. And he may not be in the, well, I don't know if it's sky blue. It's like pale blue, black and white next season. Who knows? But I, w- I was so moved by it uh, that um, I spoke to an old friend of mine, uh, Ricky Springfield, and he and I worked on a little number. So we've got a little song about Will Chambers. School 
They should have taught you the golden rule Don't talk to sledges, don't be a fool They're only trying to make you lose your cool So now when Started chirping at all of them And that's when Now, one of the we, we played that song on ABC Grandstand on Sunday, and um, Luke Lewis took quite a shine to it, being quite close friends with Will Chambers, and he proceeded then to ring Will Chambers and then to send it to him. Um, and when we went to air on Sunday, we threw to the sideline eye Brad Talon and said, you know, what's it like down the ground? He said, well, I can tell you that standing right behind me is Will Chambers. And he asked me if I was from the ABC and he said, could you tell Luke Lewis and Dennis Carnahan that I'm out to get them? I'm going to track them down. That was his response to the song. <clears throat> so, Don't be concerned, Dennis. His bark is worse than his bite. <laughs> Apparently. But, boy, he can bark. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. in the, in the He can bark like a hound. The, the matters I was discussing in the, uh, in the opener, there was a, the crackdown, backdown, smackdown. Chris, what the hell is going on with the crackdown? The crackdown, Dennis, is it's it's got more variants than COVID nineteen. I think that's the, that's the problem because it, it's it's twisting and it's morphing and it's mutating, and no one can contain it, define it, understand it, interpret it. We just have to experience it, Dennis, and it manifests itself in many ways. Yes, we're getting people sent off. For example, I think uh, Hatterira Naira is the first uh, Canberra Raider to have been. No, no, sorry, Ryan Madison was the first Parramatta Eel to be sent off in 16 years, 16 wonderful years. And uh, But we're sort of seeing issues about whether Nathan Cleary's moustache was good, did he have a shoulder charge, did Victor Radley deserve what he got because he was trying to save his team? And I say he certainly did because he took out Albert Kelly's legs. And Tupanua gets a little love tap from Tom Flegler and, the very keen eye of Teddy Tedesco does a captain's challenge and that somehow turns into a penalty that wins the game for the Roosters. No doubt the NRL trying to make up ground after Rico went public with the way that the Roosters have been caned in the penalty count since Robbo began. And there's the clue, by the way, 
Trent Robinson coaches teams to concede penalties. Fact. Uh, he always has. I it's know. part of his thing. It's what he does. I've even written a song about it to the tune of the David Essex classic, Hold Them Down, Don't Let Them Go. He's notorious for it. It's how they won premierships. They like to give away penalties. They love to give away penalties so they can get their line set. But I was just wondering, though, with that, with the love tap, was that Flegler on Tupanua? Yes, no, the, uh, it was. Was that the one? It was. I, I wondered whether maybe there was an issue there because if you'd watched the, the motion of his hand across the face, I suspect that was a cupcaking. Oh, do you think I so? I reckon- I reckon Flegler had just let a little bit go into his hand and whoosh, whooshed it into his face. <laughs> there was outrage because this is just not the done thing. Well, of course, because he had dropped the ball. Oh, he did, did <laughs> indeed. It would be a horrible thing to face up to. But the shoulder charge, that that one, the, the uh, Cleary shoulder charge, which had Gus Gould, apoplectic saying it wasn't a shoulder charge he didn't go and people up in arms saying there wasn't a, it was of course it wasn't. he did it did appear like a shoulder charge there's two words in there let's let's dissect this shoulder that's obviously refers to the shoulder correct charge a charge means going forward you think of the charge of the light horse or the charge of the light brigade they're running forward a charge charging you're going in a direction but he did appear like he was more bracing himself and actually going backwards to absorb impact. Okay, Dennis, well, I can help here. The, Please. The, the problem with the shoulder charge is that people get caught up on the word charge as you were there, right, because they go, Nathan Cleary should have been up on a shoulder charge charge, right? Oh, there's confusion. So there's automatic confusion. So the first thing we need to do is change the word from charge to something else. And I'm just coming off the top of my head here. Let's call it the uh, shoulder attack, right? <laughs> and and that has all the elements. Forget the wrapping and all that force and whatever. It's the forward aspect of it, right? Now, the mm. explanation has been passionately embraced by Gus Gould, who was uh, apoplectic about poor old Katoa being hit on for the for the um, contact on Cozy, who had actually already dropped the ball and should have resulted in the try of the Bulldogs. Didn't even get a charge from the match review committee. But yep. Gus was absolutely... It's very clear that Nathan was protecting his moustache, turned, and was bracing, right? Now, what we don't have here is the third option that will really clear this up. And I refer, of course, to the not well-recognised, but phenomenon that does occur regularly in rugby league, and that is the shoulder retreat. The shoulder retreat. So you establish the plane, a la the 10-metre kickoff, and you go- Yep. The shoulder in a neutral position has the plane, and then you look, then look at the relative movement of the shoulder, attack, brace, retreat. And then if you actually go into the first category, shoulder attack, other elements being there, forceful, wrapped arms, that results in a shoulder attack charge. Problem solved. This is the type of thinking that the NRL should be paying heed of. And I've never for once suggested that I should be consulted by the Innovation Committee or the Rules Committee or even the post-game afternoon tea committee, but I think finally it's time to be heard. We need to change the language of rugby league and we need to get the charge out of the shoulder charge. Wow. Uh, Some physics. We need some physics, some physicists to come into the game. And wouldn't it be great to actually get Sydney University, the Sydney University Lions, the rugby, which which they were in the top grade competition for a number of years in the early twentieth century. I believe they. It, whenever you see an old team that was in the game prior to nineteen forty seven, like Manly, for instance, uh, when they had their record, all the try scoring records, all the point scoring records, all the high scores 
all of them were against university. Yeah, that's <laughs> they right. were done. But at least they could contribute to the physics of rugby league. They could perhaps get the, some vectors. They could work out the forward pass vector relative to the movement of the player rather than relative to the movement of the field. Oh, it'd be wonderful. We were talking earlier in the year about the need to establish rugby league university and probably settled on rugby league TAFE, but this could be the op- the opportunity. I certainly feel that clubs like Annandale also had a role to play back in those times. But the the Dales. The, the the interesting thing here for me, Dennis, is uh in terms of the conflict that that is inherent in rugby league, because your Canberra Raiders plucky, brave, resilient defeat uh, to the Melbourne Storm. In the lead-up, the great Joey John said, I feel that Ryan Pappenhausen is down on confidence. So Joey's advice to Pappenhausen was to take the bull by the horns and get smashed. (laughs) And I noticed that Elliot Whitehead actually accommodated that, right? So here we're going, the way to solve yourself is to get smashed. And then within about 60 seconds, poor old Hanawira Naira smashed Jerome Hughes. And he is so remorseful and so upset. In the same way, well, I think Ryan Madison looked more like an automaton. He didn't really know what he was doing because he had the soul sucked out of him. But this is the conflict we've got in rugby league. We've still got old school impulses like get out there and get smashed. But these guys, we don't for a second think that said Madison and Hattarira and Ira in any way intended any harm on their targets being Jerome Hughes and Hank Scorpio, a.k.a. Brad Parker. And, in fact, they feel terrible about it. So no wonder the modern player is confused. How are the referees meant to be able to... Inter- you know, interpolate themselves in this situation and give the word that's probably going to be my new word, Dennis, mm. to replace resilience. Ooh. I'm not going to harp on about resilience anymore. If I have to hear the word consistency again, oh. I'm going to lose it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of it. I know it was the, the Hatterwitanita uh, shot on Jahrome Hughes. I did think it was a fascinating moment in rugby league that because traditionally in that, Big man hitting small man in the head, small man goes down unconscious. Traditionally, that means it's an all-in and the storms will come running in. But it was fascinating. The storms did come running in and there's Josh Hodgson on the ground saying to them, guys, your players hurt. Yeah, I know. Sit down, settle down, settle down. And they all settled down and they did. And there was Hadawi Nida, Teary, cradling him. It's And it's so remorseful. There's been no bigger supporter of Peter Volandis than I have been, Dennis, over the last couple of years. <laughs> His- Care and attention to the players has driven everything that that great man has done for the game. And if it's ended up with situations exactly like you describe, where the the concern and the care of all players is for their fallen compatriot or opponent, then Peter Volandis has done his job. In what was a very unfortunate situation where intent was not involved, it was a beautiful, solemn and gorgeous moment, and it's uh, it, if they're not building a statue to Volandis somewhere in the bubble in southeast Queensland, they soon will be. By the way, Dennis, can I just simply say one of the other things that comes out of this is the HIAs have no fear or favour. If you read about the nine HIAs from the last round, the nine players were Dale Finucane, Jerome Hughes, mm-hmm. your boy mm-hmm. Jared Croker, Billy Burns, Dale Copley, Danny Levi, Brad Parker, Nick Meany, and Ronaldo Mulatalo, doesn't matter what your ability is, doesn't matter what your skill is, what your position, <laughs> the HIA, it, it has no uh, discrimination in it. It's just a level playing field. And if it's a level playing field that's kinder and gentler, then I'm feeling not too bad about the fact that consistency is a myth that we'll never reach. 
I will just say one one last thing about the Hadawitanida incident. And uh, like he sent out the big remorseful tweet to his brother, and he 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 was very upset about it. It was like another letter from Parramatta, wasn't it? it went on for a bit, <laughs> a little bit. But when he went to the match review committee, when they put the charges down, they had uh, he's played for how many years? Like he's seven, played for seven, seven years. years without he a charge. Had, without a charge. Now I think. No one said it, but the fact that he, he didn't get carryover points, in fact, he got a discount on the charge because of that. Correct. Now, why wasn't that called by its proper name, the not-his-go discount? Correct. He got he got it, six commuted, I think, approximately five to six commuted to three because not-his-go, whereas Radley yep. would have normally got a week, but that is his go, and he was <laughs> and, and he was, he was pumped up to three. And, and what's not received much attention that um, Corey, who feels- Absolutely dreadful about what happened. He went in, he heard, he actually pleaded for the discount to be removed. He said, no, 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 I, <laughs> I, I want more punishment. And then, you know, wiser forces in the club said, Corey, you've done enough. You, you, you've, 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 he was actually saying, it's a fair cop. Yeah, he said, it's, it's a, a fair, fair cop. cop. He said, if, if you want to incarcerate <laughs> me, you know, in Southport prison for a week, I would do that because yep. I feel that bad. That is how much rugby league has evolved, Dennis. And I don't get why Felix Annesley is blowing up about the poor attitude of the rugby league coaches in this new environment. Well, he might be, but he's madly pulling the levers. We've discussed consistency, <laughs> and you're saying you're, you're going to lose it. But Felix has been like, he, he had the crackdown. He had the backdown. He's said himself he's adjusting levers. He's adjusting the algorithms. What, what's he said this week about his backdown, crackdown, smackdown? Some of the level of criticism that's been coming about match officials after games, I think is over the top. Uh, and I think it's unjustified. It's kind of overwhelming the post-match commentary about what's happening in games. You know, we're not hearing anything about the 20 handling errors on average per game. We're not hearing anything about the 60 missed tackles on average per game. We're not hearing anything about the 30 ineffective tackles on average per game or the 10 line breaks on average per game that teams are conceding. We're not hearing anything about that. And each one of those incidents, I would say to you, has a far greater impact on the outcome of the game than one or two refereeing decisions that might be arguable about whether they were right or they're wrong. Frankly, it's just rubbish and, um, and it's not worthy of the people who make those comments. Oh, rubbish and not worthy. That's fantastic. I, I do recall back in... Are you right there, Pat? You look like you just had a... Okay. Oh, no, Pat. Um, it reminds me, I went to a, a Raiders presentation night in 2008 and Neil Henry was the coach. And uh, it was a mad Monday. The Raiders hadn't made the finals, but some of the juniors had. And so the players, they were fully on the cans, but the under-20s weren't. And Neil Henry got up. Now, in that season, there was about six games the Raiders lost by less than four points. And in each of those games, there was a refereeing howler, which the referee's boss, I believe it was Daniel Anderson, came out and said, yeah, we got that wrong. So a lot of Raiders fans were very much in the mold of Roosters fans now. We were getting upset because we felt we were being hard done by. Neil Henry came out. Sponsors were all there. It's a night. You know, the season's done. Let's forget about the season kind of thing. And Neil starts going, right, we had these six games and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, 
in those games, and he then decided to read out all the mistakes of each of the players in each of those six games, which was decided by less than four points. This speech went for 20 minutes. The whole, the room just descended into absolute misery. It was the most miserable presentation night. Thankfully, Neil Henry took that misery away from the club because no one needs it. By the way, that was Graham Annesley absolutely giving a bake and a spray. That's as animated as you'll ever hear, Felix. And basically, he's channeling the same thing that you're saying about Coach Henry there, that, look, all the players are incompetent, so you can't expect anything other than incompetence from the referees, <laughs> is what I'm telling you. And when he says, you don't hear anything about the 30 missed tackles and the 10 line breaks, well, I read a lot of reviews of the Parramatta v Manly game, and all I heard about <laughs> was the 30 or 60 missed tackles and the 10 line breaks conceded, and I think it was about 15, to Manly. So he hasn't completely got that right, and uh, it, it worries me that someone who's so level-headed, so calm, is starting to fray at the edges. And again, it raises the question, what bubble is Felix in? Is he stuck in the bunker in Redfern still? And someone should get him out of there very quickly. I did see one wonderful Parramatta fan, Daniel Payne of uh, Dan's NRL Collectibles, a a card dealer, um, like a footy card dealer. And he posted after the game, quite ironically, Bloody ref, the referee <laughs> refereed us out of that game. He made some shocking decisions and I, I couldn't help but write, yep, that was what was with that letting Manly go on the field at the start. He should have kept him off. And and all the Eels fans, they, they all knew there's nothing like that was the one game that referees didn't receive criticism because they didn't even need to that's, be there. They could right. have just finished the game. They should have called it off. There should have been a mercy rule and they pulled Tommy T off. But anyway, let's let's move on. Let's move on from Felix. Um, Chris, you keep t- I've I've missed a lot of this, but it seems like every time I I, I open the the Astonisher, every time I look at uh, the television, every time it comes on, there's a bird's eye. Now I thought the bird's eye had all gone and retired. Where, what is what is going on with the bird's eye? It's a bird's eye blitz, Dennis, because Sam Burgess needs to rebuild his career, and his career mm. starts with a. Tilt in SAS Australia coming to your screen soon. You might have noticed that if you're watching the Olympics. And the Burgeyes do everything together. They've got the 4B TOGS label to promote. So they go, if Sam's in, I'm in. So believe it or not, George Burgess has had a titanium hip inserted. He's coming back to play rugby league, but he's coming back to play with St. George Illawarra. So you know it's not serious. Um, he's basically <laughs> coming back to demonstrate solidarity with his brother and flog the gear. Now, of course, uh, Tom's got to get in on the game because he actually plays for a team that's doing well, a team called the South Sydney Rabbitohs that both those other birds I used to play their trade as indeed the fourth brother, Luke, the Uber driver, did. And so Tom's got on the front foot and said, you think George has done something with the rehab? What about the Winhoff method? Now, that's how he's getting through his season. Are you aware of the Winhoff method, Dennis? Is this related to Paul Hoff? <laughs> Or David Hasselhoff? Hasselhoff. Well, yes, it's related to both of them, actually. Because Winhoff, and I and I want to quote here, uh, he is where is he? He's an extreme athlete known as Wim the Iceman Hoff. And he, uh. his idea is that you get into ice baths and he's built a worldwide cult following for his breathing techniques and exposure to extreme cold. His methods promise yep. improved concentration, immunity. And mental health benefits, and they've helped Tom. And he goes, I've not missed a game for a few years now, and I wish he'd missed that game against the Tigers earlier in the year. So, the- Or at least just bounce the ball. Yeah. So so one would say, is everything well with the Burgeyes? 
because Tom's saying, well, I've remained healthy as opposed to my brother George who's got a titanium hip because I've gone down the Wynn and Hoff thing. Meanwhile, my other brother Sam is a complete mess. He gave a tell-all mm. interview to Stellar Magazine and the Sunday Astonisher which said absolutely nothing other than I've got sober with drugs and alcohol. And normally most people get sober by no longer consuming drugs or alcohol, but it's innovation <laughs> at the heart of the Burgi. But in fact, it's all manufactured. The rivalry is not real. The whole thing is designed to try and get that 4B leisure wear off the shelves because I'm telling you, right. as opposed to Peter Wynn's score, it ain't exactly jumping off those shelves at the moment. So just don't get sucked into the Burgi thing. Having said that, I'm going to forensically watch and report back on every episode of Sam on SAS Australia. Well, I look forward to it. Now, I understand one of the, one of this show's favourites, a little, um, a bit like the itchy and scratchy show, is the new one on Fox Sports was in the Coops. Oh yes, and was and Coops. Have we heard new stuff? Have we heard new stuff from the Was and Coops show? It's just a little grab here. I think we got from the Canberra Melbourne game. Just a, a, a hectic cheese update as well. Brandon Smith, we saw him labour as well. His second injury was a shoulder one. His first one, he actually copped a hit in the nether region, so that's why he struggled for so long. That is hectic. <laughs> I mean, that is a zinger there from Austin that was sideline reporter Jake Duke, who's hopped over from the Nine Network and is doing wonderful JJ. things. Doing wonderful things at Fox, and uh, I tell you what, they're always looking for an angle. I think they had Butcher Baker and the Candlestick Maker on the bench again, but they can't keep going back to the well. So now they're starting talking. Yes, they about, can. They're talking about Brandon Smith's <laughs> nether regions. Can I just step in for? Can I just step in? Pat off the bench. Yes, I was going to say this, but you said that they can't possibly keep going back to the well. For <laughs> Nat Butcher. <laughs> people get excited when the Roosters have two butchers and a baker in their side. And don't forget the candlestick maker. That's it. I know a guy. There's Tedesco. That- You'd be surprised. I stand corrected. <laughs> and if you think nudism in rugby league, Dennis, what do you think? Oh, there's one word. Streaking. It's streaking. Waddy Homegood. We love a streaker. We are streaking in rugby league right now. What's on the go? Oh, uh, well, there's a number of streaks going on. Um... Pat Redfern, Pat South Sydney Rabbitohs have have got a streak. The highest number of 30-plus victories in a row since rugby league began in 1908. Yeah, so 30 points or more in a game. and Astonishing. An eight-game consecutive streak. And yet again, can I simply say thank you, Peter Volandis. What a wonderful sight it is to go (laughs) out and see teams pile on cricket scores. Well, if you talk in the language of the English cricket team based on their overnight effort against India. And uh, <laughs> wonderful to see such records being broken. Wonderful to see Ruben Garrick break Matthew Ridge's point-scoring record for Manly mm. as he steamrolled over the million-dollar man Clint Gutherson en route to then see Mitchell Moses <laughs> clutching at air. And he did a better job of catching the air than he did the football on a couple of occasions. So uh, <laughs> it's great to see that streak, but there's an even bigger one, isn't there? Well, yes, there's... there's- um, obviously, we love the Sydney Roosters on this show. Huge fans. <laughs> and, huge fans. And, the, and an original club from 1908. And they're having their own streak. That which What was that? There was 1975 Roosters. What did they do? 1975 Roosters. No, the- yes, 1975 uh, Roosters. Eastern suburbs, as they used to be known. They now are the Sydney Roosters. The Tricolours. Lost two of their first three games. Then went on a 19-game winning streak en route to winning the 1975 Grand Final to the June. A 38 blot against Graham Langlands and his white boots. 
So that is the record. And now the Melbourne Storm are on the cusp of greatness, Dennis, because I believe if they win this weekend, they join the Roosters on 19 consecutive victories. They beat the Titans and then one more and they're into rarefied air. And those jilted, jaded Roosters fans, they hate the Storms anyway, but they'll be absolutely death riding them. They'll, they'll be really desperately wanting the poor old Titans. Well, some of, some, of the Roosters, <laughs> some of the Roosters' greats, from my reading of the press, have been quite magnanimous, like the likes of Ian Schubert saying it's great to have held the record, but all power to the Storm. Uh, I think I'm right in reading that one of the props, Ian Mackay, said he's got everything crossed that the Titans get up on the weekend, which I kind of like. But the really interesting yeah. thing about this is there's some sort of circle completion because Coach Craig Bellamy was a Mad Dragons fan and was all hopped up to go to the 1975 Grand Final, but in the end wasn't there, probably for him, thankfully, given the result, because it was his sister's wedding that day. Goodness. Now, how old would Craig Bellamy have been in 1975? I've got him at about 16 years of age. Okay. Making his way in the world. But I quickly want to put it to you, Dennis. Faced with that dilemma, that hypothetical, which was actually a reality for Craig Bellamy, and he went to the sister's wedding, if the Canberra Raiders made the grand final and and your sister was getting married or sibling was getting married, what would you do? Our sister's already married, so it would be a second marriage, and I'd be saying to her, Margaret, what are you doing? Getting married on grand final day, you've, you know, it, it was obviously like every year it's obvious this is the Raiders' year they're going to get to the grand final and win it. Um, we're still in what year six or seven of Ricky's 25 year plan. I'd be mm. saying to any of my family, do not be getting married around October at all because I'm, I'm not going to go. If you want me to go, don't do it. And the, the, you know what they'd probably do? My sister would say, oh, Really? You sure? Well, I'll send the invite anyway. <laughs> and she'll definitely fork, uh, schedule it for that Saturday and in, in, uh, Sunday in October. So I knew a family of the Osbournes, and they used to just be apoplectic if ever there was a wedding schedule for a Saturday. They go, that's ridiculous. It's sports day. So you're saying you're not going? No, I'm, not, I'm going to the grand final. Okay. I'm going to I, say, I, I have to be there. I, I created an algorithm, and I inputted 50% of marriages fail. Yep. Um. Uh, I think the number of siblings would be relevant. And then I'd look at the capacity for the average sibling to get married over the course of, say, a 50-year horizon. And then I compute the number of times that my team has been in the grand final in the last 50 years, which is four. And I am there on grand final day, baby. No questions asked. At, At the wedding or at the grand final? I'm at the grand final. One of my siblings had a naming day for his child and he put it on the first day of the Ashes match. This will be back in uh, late 90s. The first day of an Ashes, uh, of the SCG Ashes match. And so me and one other brother, we went to that game. This is the first game the Barmy Army appeared. And England were like bloody none for 300 or something an hour to go. And we had to leave and hop on the train. They were literally none down. Four wickets fell in that last hour <laughs> that we'd left. We were at, at this naming ceremony. And we were filthy because we'd been listening on the train on the way on the train going, seriously, we're going to this? And then we ended up just doing the dishes in the kitchen. No, I'm at the grand final. I'm not yeah. going to a family thing. I'm at the grand final. But by the way, if it was old school, you had the option that if it was, you know, an afternoon grand final, then you could at least go to the reception. But they've taken that away from us as well, Dennis. They have indeed. But all this talk of streaks, Chris, it takes me back to a wonderful song back from my childhood. Let's have a listen to it. 
Hello, everyone. This is your Action News reporter with all the news that is news across the nation on the scene at the supermarket. There seems to have been some disturbance here. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was standing over by the tomatoes, and here he come, running through the pole beans, through the fruits and vegetables, naked as a jaybird. And I hollered over to Ethel. I said, don't look, Ethel. And it's too late. She'd already been in the scenes. Here he comes. Boogie there, boogie there. There he goes. Boogie there, boogie there. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Look at that, look at that. Fastest thing on two feet. Look at that, look at that. He's just as proud as he can be. His anatomy, he gonna give us a peek. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Look at that, look at that. He likes to show off his physique. Look at that, look at that. If there's an audience to be found, he'll be streaking it round, inviting a lot of crappy music here, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, God. I can't believe what young blokes listen to these days. And now it's time for the latest instalment of The Life and Times of Gus Gould. And then that's when I ran into Gus, cutting a rug up at Archie's at a nightclub. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his favourite song. What was that song? Um, Oh, what a night. Oh, Frankie Valli. Oh. Four Seasons. Yeah, but remember how they did the remix? Oh, yeah, the yeah. Uh, disco version. In about the mid-90s, that was yeah. his go-to. Was that it? was very good. And that was the latest instalment of The Life and Times of Gus Gould. Anyway, we're all fired up. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> that that I, I'm so so last week we discovered that Craig Bellamy doesn't miss a musical. <laughs> There's still the allegation that Ricky Stewart was in the High School Musical in Year Twelve at St Edmunds, and I want to find that out because I know he repeated Year Twelve to do to to be able to play Schoolboys twice. Oh, the, the my my goal now. Imagine seeing Gus Gould cutting a rug to this. Just the visions entering my head. This. We need to see it. It needs to be done. Well, it's a shame Dancing with the Stars is on the wrong ve- on the wrong network. It's a shame we don't have an exact date and see how many um, people were born nine months after <laughs> Gus Gould was cutting a rug. I want to know. I thought you were going to say maybe we'd yeah. go there and, and uh, search the security footage because they probably have a VHS of security for that night. Yeah. We did a remix of Frankie Valli singing Grease, so I might try and get that into his hands as well. Oh, boy. Yep. But let's move on from there. Let's go into Media Watch. What do you got for us, Pat? So, what had Ray and his listeners so fired up? Next question. Next question. I can't tell you the truth. I can't tell you the, the, the way that game panned out because I get fined. So, uh, I'm not going to answer any questions. I've done my job. Thanks. Now we don't like to tackle the serious issues. We like to stay away from politics on this on this show and indeed this segment. But unfortunately, um, sometimes, uh, sometimes you know, with the world we're living in, sometimes it's impossible to escape politics. Um, and as shown by this Joey Johns clip, free, free Victor and Julian Assange. <laughs> They're in the same boat. The free Julian. <laughs> Free Victor. And you might think that it's, you know, it's it's a funny juxtaposition of like ironically putting something of, of great weight up against something of, of little weight. 
but he's very serious about this Victor Radley uh, issue. If he changes his way, he's not that player. Yep. He goes from Victor the inflicted, Victor the politically correct forever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because just like Julian Assange, the censorship of Victor Radley and his playing style, it's a, it's a censorship of, of freedom of expression, of freedom of speech that seems uh, writ large on society um, at the moment. And apologies to people, you know, who are sick of all the hyper politics and, and all that going on. But, you know, we just have to tackle it. Indeed we do. And let's, and let's not forget Scotty Prince, who in the same sort of tackle had his leg broken. I mean, there is a- there, uh, Tony Kane in his first there game. There is a little issue with that sort of tackle of smacking someone on the legs and bending them backwards. You don't see it in rugby union either. I think that it's like it's just the well, that's that because yeah, you, that's only because you don't watch it. But, <laughs> but it's good to see that Joe's got a worldview and he's obviously keeping up with politics. Because Pat, I noticed in the paper recently in his column, which I've already apologised in the show that I should have been reading all year, is match previews because there's hidden gold in there. He was talking about the revelation that Shane Warne had contracted COVID nineteen. And Joey goes, now I think of it, COVID should be more worried about being in Warney's body. If, <laughs> if, if COVID can survive that, maybe we should vaccinate Australians with a pinch of Warney's blood. <laughs> but if I'm following the logic, COVID can survive Warney's blood. So why would that help in the vaccine? But it's a nice thought. It's a nice thought from Joey. It really is. On Joey, do you guys... um? have a way in there's been a lot of of critique on channel nine with sterlo retiring or announcing his retirement rather do you guys you guys think channel nine's jumped the shark that it's not not the uh powerhouse it used to be there's some speculation that that's the case well i think joey johns agrees with you what a great show the final whistle it's, a, it's great. do you know what you keep coming back for it that's what i love though I'm come back because I'm told to. (laughs) (laughs) Vicky, he's a Fox Sports guy as well. Wow. Contractually obliged. On to the Tigers. We had a happier week with the documentary, um, but I did talk last week about when people talk about the West Tigers season now, they're talking about whether the West Tigers are are even alive or not. Um, And it is getting to the sideline commentators because Brent Tate had this to say. So, look, let's just hope for a game of footy, Rossi. Brent, that is one of the great sideline observations I think I've ever heard in my broadcasting career. You have summed it up perfectly. Did, playing did, football. So, Pat, you caught episode three last night. Dennis, have you seen episode three? I am yet to see episode three. Um, I've seen episode three. I understand that someone at um, the Evil Empire, at Rupert's Empire, actually watched... Despite despite being a cousin of Fox Sports, actually sat and watched the, the episode two and had a little tally and kept a tally of how many Michael Lucks were dropped. Obviously, all the Carmichaels were cut out. Yeah. And um, so, I understand that episode three, did it have, was was the- I think uh, there were about three got through. So, the Michael Lucks per hour, the, ra- the Michael Luck right ratio down. was right down. Well, we had right more down. wins. Yeah. <laughs> he's still but the thing is when he's winning what does he say Michael Luck how much Michael Lucking fun is scoring Michael Lucking tries go out and score another Michael Lucking try it's Michael Lucking fun that's yeah, even and, when and they there, win and there were a few that were clipped out but there was less less to, to get rid of but he's obviously been attracting a lot of comparisons to like McNulty and The Wire but to me as I said before it's like watch, watching an episode of Deadwood. So Madge will always be Al Swerigen for me for the rest of 
the rest of time. The I, you know, like again, we got a lot of footage. Imagine the box, and he just rides the game and calls it, and you know, immediately reacts badly, and then finds out that in fact we've scored tries and all this sort of thing. But um, Pat, did you have any particular observations that came out? Because I've got one very specific thing I'd like to add about last night's episode. Nothing specific. It's not as fun when they're winning. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's your take on it. In fact, one of the great highlights was the win that we had against the St. George Illawarra Dragons. And I must send a shout out to AH Kaylee again. Uh, Patchy agrees with you. She never wants the word Illawarra added when the news about St. George is bad. Uh, I was wrong in that. But uh, in that game, we was held out at uh, Bank West Stadium, as we like to refer to it. So, Madge has to get down from the coaching box to the dressing room. And the camera follows him into the lift and down the car. Like, I think it takes about five minutes each way. So, he's, he's basically got two minutes with the boys before he has to go back up, right? But they actually put the GoPro in the middle of the team song where we won, where the water's spraying everywhere and Nofa's leading the song. As a Tigers fan, you can't help but love that stuff. And you can't help love the fact that Madge, for whatever faults he may or may not have, or whatever faults Justin Pascoe's hair dye may or may not have, as he went cap in hand to see Harry Triggerboth during the episode looking for cash. But seriously, he's better than the most evil man in rugby league, Ivan Cleary. And the, the, yesterday's episode ends on an upbeat note because we have that great win against the Penrith Panthers out at Leichhardt and it leaves hanging when episode four is going to drop. I mean, are they actually riding on the Tigers doing some sort of miracle or are they praying as producers that we yet again become ninth? We don't know when the final episode is coming. But we got lots of footage of Robbie Farah firing the boys up during the Penrith game. It was absolutely superb for all Tigers fans, except what do you think was missing from the coverage? I have no idea. Wins? Michael Luck? Benji Marshall? The Ivan's a wanker chant. Oh, yeah. When the Tigers no. went ahead by 14 and they all we all turned as yeah. one and the Latch and Robinson stand and started giving it to Ivan. And there is a conspiracy going on, and I think I've uncovered it. If you look at the non- Crusher charge on kickout on Joey Manu a couple of weeks ago. The Nathan shoulder charge on Jack Bird, which is, let's face it, it was a shoulder attack and deserved a shoulder attack charge. And then this rubbing clean of the beautiful, heartwarming, larrikin, Aussie verbal to Ivan Cleary. That, that to me, was the best moment in rugby league this year. I might be biased, but it's not in the coverage. What is this campaign to make Ivan Cleary and the Penrith Panthers look like clean skins. It perplexes me. It bamboozles me. It shocks me. It worries me. But most of all, it appalls me. Look, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out and say it, that w- you're saying that that is the greatest moment of rugby league this year. And, and I, as, as a Raiders fan, I can't disagree. It was a beautiful, poetic oh. moment. They turned as one. There was this what? just group it was it was a wonderful thing and and as we've discussed before previously on this very podcast they waited till after that penalty goal was kicked <laughs> till there was no chance they could lose and then they turned as one they knew well, that, that was the time the timing was immaculate yes, it was it was fourth dimensional it was time space and dare i say distance we went up by 14 with less than 10 minutes on the clock and it was at that point that the cognoscenti understood that the game was in the bag and we gave voice. I'm going to say, did. I'm going to say it's the best moment in rugby league in the last two years. And the reason I say two years is because I think you'll find today's date is August the 17th. Oh, and exactly, yes. 
Exactly yes. two years ago on August the 17th, the greatest day in rugby league history ever happened. The miracle in Melbourne, 18 oh. nil down, two players in the bin. <clears throat> I was chastised on the week after that during the podcast for, I think someone did a count that I said glorious <laughs> about a thousand times. So I put Horsburgh's <sighs> um, brain snap into the greatest It's not moment. a brain snap. No, it's it wasn't a brain snap. He his had brain, a, he, his he, brain. Uh, his brain was not was not present. During- well, you mean Canterbury Bank Sam Bulldog Corey Horsburgh? That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you see it in there? They they had the team lists, and they actually had him and Ryan James in the Canterbury team in their Raiders jumpers. They used their Raiders profile picks. It's actually I actually like it. I think it's a great well, thing. I look. I tell you what, Ryan James, when Katoa did hit Cozy for the turnover, which should have resulted in a try and given Trent Barrett a smile, he was. Super excited. He was yeah. loving wearing the blue and white. Very excited by it. Which is probably a reaction to having to wear the lime green, but anyway. What else you got for us, Pat? Ooh, wait a second. So is this when we're going to feedback, feedback? I've got a Janet Jackson fact. So the guy who started YouTube, whose name escapes him right now, one of his motivations apparently was that the clip of Janet Jackson getting um, nipple gate getting exposed. He couldn't that that clip was blacklisted from all your your gate kept internet websites, so he couldn't see a video of it. So that was one of the stimuli for starting. So YouTube, YouTube. was inspired by Janet Jackson's nipples. Wow, that's that's fascinating. Yes, nipple. nipple. Sorry. Wow. I don't. I don't. The left one didn't didn't have much to do with it. So Janet Jackson's right nipple inspired <laughs> YouTube. <Yeah. laughs> that is yeah. that's beaten all of your facts put together, Chris. Ah, uh, it's not a competition. <laughs> it's not a competition. No, no. I was all I had today was that she once dated Daniel Vito, <laughs> but I'm not even going to bring that up. So Daniel Vito, the Raiders <laughs> winger. <laughs> yeah, Raiders, the one and the same. Broncos winger, really? Dragons winger, now professional <laughs> wrestler. <laughs> So into feedback. Um, yes, um, I will uh, try and get through this quick. Andrew Ison said uh, Segiara was cooking and noted that he didn't use his housemate's blender this time. <laughs> uh, one of my favourite things, I think one of all of our favourite things, uh, Tiona and Stinson pointed out what the match day DJ was mixing up at Redcliffe, I think it was. Um, if anyone has any thoughts about what's getting played in coverage, what's getting played to the matches, what players are listening to, call my mobile directly because I'm always open to talk about, <laughs> you know, what producers are throwing in, what what match day DJs are doing. But what we had was I want to dance with somebody into Sing Sing Sing. I forget who who does that one. Um, and, and pointing out that it's a, a clumsy sort of mix, I, I guess, is the reading between the lines there. But we came on recording a bit late, so I actually had a, 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 a crack at mixing that one myself. How you like that one, fellas? Seamless. How does that compare to your uh, Grease remix, Chris? Seamless, Pat. Seamless. Can I just say, Stephen Ferris, be afraid, be very afraid. There was one game on the weekend, and I'm trying to think which one it was, where it was Friday night, uh, Broncos Roosters, I think it was, 
And that game was so miserable that in the middle of it, they started playing. Was it that one or was it was it the afternoon? No, it was the Rabbitohs Gold Coast. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> DJ started playing Sweet Fucking Caroline. And I... It's the barrel. I didn't think yeah. the barrel, they've broken through the bottom and they're just digging in the dirt underneath. So a friend of the show, MJ, noted that the so in rugby league, we cycle through phrases. So we go from consistency through to resilience, through to, to front loading. That maybe as we go through as a society, as we go from, you know, we're all sick of the phrase, you got this. So maybe we cycle through the phrases on a bit of a lag you know, um, parallel to, to to the footy parlance. So we get through, you've got this. So now we're at a society, we need to be more resilient. And then we get to, we need to we need consistency, you know, with engagement parties and whatnot. Then we get to, all right, as a society, this is 2023, we've got to front load our efforts and get through this pandemic. Nice. And then speaking of, of parlance, Stuart Marler. Amazing. Talking about uh, the eels, that, that whole saga about how uh, it's talking about how the eels are publicly imploding, which seems sort of counterintuitive that if something is a, a sort of yes. uh, external thing that you think would be exploding, whereas if it was sort of a, an internal private thing, that would be an implosion. But I've seen plenty of buildings implode. Yeah. Well, if, yeah, if that's fine by you, you know. And let me tell you, watching Parramatta last weekend looked like a building imploding. So that was an implosion, but reporting reports getting to the paper every single day about what's happening in private meetings with only two people present. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's imploding. Um, we got there. We talked about the or in our socials. We talked about the NRL lawyers, which was Gus, Desi, and Ivan, who had all represented their players. Uh, team leader Terry Bull pointed out that Des. Sorry, it was Mal, Gus, and Ivan. And then Terry Bull pointed out that Des represented uh, Graham when Billy Slade, when he bit Billy Slade on the ear. I don't really, I don't remember that one, but yeah, I think he got 10 weeks or 12 weeks. <laughs> it was a good solid 12. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people pointing out that the, that NRL lawyers would be a TV show that they'd be interested in watching. So maybe uh, Dennis, you and I need to get together and um, make that pilot. Sure. And then just to finish off from me, um, Terry Bull also pointed out that, that West are chipping in for a barbecue in lockdown. So there might be. <laughs> and they're going to install it at Shell Harbour? <laughs> hey, you can laugh, but the uh, press has revealed that part of the, and let's face it, the Tigers are on a tear right now. Part of the bonding that's occurring in the bubble is that Alex Twole and Adam Dewey are getting on the on the barbecue and producing Lebanese barbecue delights, and it's bringing the team ever closer together. So, um, barbecues can be a force for good or evil in rugby league. I think that's well understood. Well, the Dragons haven't won a game since. Maybe Freddie can jump in, be the overseer of Lebanese cooking, as he's. I think he's still their coach, is he not? And then just to round it out from me, um, in that same article where uh, West Tigers brought, uh, bought a barbecue from in um, Buzz Rothfield Spotted, we had this. Many NRL stars have taken on domestic duties whilst based in Queensland. Rabideau Cam Murray is one, doing his own washing and surviving without a laundry service. <gasps> mm. So he was spotted at a laundry, one, doing his own washing, which uh, doesn't seem like news. 
But I will say they did have a photo and it was top load. Top load. There you go. It was a top there load. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Brad Arthur, take There's note. the problem. Yeah, and then you look where Souths are on the ladder. Mm. And their, their jerseys are... I'm not a big fan of the current jersey Souths have. I think the neck hole is too big. <laughs> I think it's, it looks a little bit unflattering for even... Some of them have great physiques and it looks unflattering, let alone a couple <laughs> of the team who may not have great physiques. But the colours always look really good. Real bright, intense colours on those jerseys. That's my ammo. And that's that's all I've got. Well, let's move on to Chris's kooky correspondence corner. Chris, what have you got for us? Just a couple of gems, Dennis. In reference to your monologue at the opening of last week's show, Courtney Shapter said, Dennis, your passion for the game is unrivaled, but your vocabulary is too advanced for this blue-collar game. I'm searching for a dictionary. Dissonance, question mark? Is that how you ask a friend to dance after too many shandies? Thank you, Courtney. <laughs> and, Pat, I think you had a, an art shot that you might have clipped and put on our socials last weekend when Ronaldo had to go up the race to the rooms for the Sharks and Puff Daddy's food truck on Instagram said, because it, it created an impression of a 007 image mm. from James Bond, he says, please don't shoot Ronaldo Militalo. We love him. Well, and I think Puff Daddy's food truck was sending a message on behalf of the Queensland Origin Selection Committee. Dr. Cameron Webb. <laughs> We got a doctor. We got a doctor in the fan base. He suggested it might be like the final scene of Star Wars, where they invariably have the the neon lit industrial sort of you know walkways. And he's a doctor. But that was <laughs> well, he would know. Thanks, Cameron. There's an odd. Um, it's an odd coverage on Channel Nine now. I don't know if they've had to like outsource the camera cinematography, but it was very arty. It's you know, normally it's play the ball, close up of the play the ball, zoom out, keep going. But this one had... Sorry, you're talking about the Knights Cronulla game? Yes. Okay, so... In- so we did have a lot of arty shots like that. Right. Um, so there's an issue about the technology out there and that comes in the context and we sent out our very best wishes to Andrew Fafita who suffered a serious throat injury and when yes. they wanted to review the footage of the game, it came to light that the coverage at Redcliffe is a little bit different to what we're normally used to. So, I mean, it's good to see a bit of creativity and that might lean into the Dolphins' bid for the 17th franchise that Wayne Bennett says we have to have because he needs a job in 2023. And it was interesting at that stadium that it's the only one where the dressing sheds are on the far side of the field. <laughs> but they're not on the same side of the field as the uh, as the cameras are, so that's why you can actually get the shot right down there. But anyway, if that's all of Chris's kooky correspondence corner, Chris, do you have any more reasons for us to hate the Roosters? Always, Dennis. Something to leave everyone oh. to enjoy the week by a new reason to hate the Sydney Roosters. On the weekend, David Riccio wrote an article headlined, I've never seen a season of such bravery, says Roosters. <laughs> Says Roosters boss. Another new reason to hate the Sydney Roosters. And with that beautiful thought of reasons to hate the Roosters, we'll finish our fire up, we'll backload the energy into it again, and we'll upload the, the, this for your listening pleasure. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Fire Up NRL. Join in our Facebook group, Blowing Up Deluxe. There's some wonderful stuff on there. And please subscribe to the podcast and put a review, etc., etc. Thank you, Redphone Pat. Thank you, Chris Gale. We'll be back more fired up next week. Play some rugby league. That's it's not that hard.